Greetings fellow captains, and welcome back to Rank Amateur. This week on Rank Amateur, we have a very different ship than what we normally do, and that is a tier 10 steel ship, actually, and that is the Stalingrad, the Soviet tier 10 sort of battleship, or mostly battleship, sort of cruiser ship that uh, has been gracing the World of Warships community with its presence since update 0.7.8. And without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. But first up, as per usual, let's go over the World of Warships news, and first up is a new Naval Legends episode. This time it's on Pearl Harbor. I believe that is up on the World of Warships official channel on December 7th, I believe. Yes, but that is something that's interesting to watch. It's going to be a few minute video about uh, the attack on Pearl Harbor, which was disastrous for the United States and provided the... Imperial Japanese Navy with an edge in the war until around 1942 with the Battle of Midway. So that is definitely worth checking out. And up next for the World of Warships news is the transition to a single game client that Wargaming has made. And essentially just means if you play on multiple servers, let's say you play on the Russian server and the European server, or the European server and the North American server, you now just have to go into your game client to select the certain server that you wish to play on, which I think is quite nifty. Uh, that way you don't have to have multiple game clients running around on your PC, which can get a little annoying. And the third thing on the World of Warships news for this fortnight is the introduction of update 0.9.11. And this is the transition of the U.S. battleships into the tech tree. So that's going to be Tier 7 Kansas, Tier 9 or no, Tier 8 Kansas, Tier 9 Minnesota, and Tier 10 Vermont. And these are just basically a continuation of the U.S. standard battleships, and they have very heavy armament and armor, just not very uh, good speed. They have good maneuverability, good pro torpedo protection, just not very good speed, and they're very vulnerable to high explosives spam. They eat it for breakfast, and they take tons of damage from it, something that I find very annoying on the... Colorado is it's just very thin armor on the the outer part of the ship so you have thicker armor on the inner part of the ship but on the outer part of the ship you have really really thin armor and that's vulnerable to high explosive spam and takes ton of damage from fires and things like that so it can be a little annoying to play sometimes so these ships definitely have an acquired taste. In addition to this, there's also free random bundles in the armory, so if you check that out every once in a while, there's uh, 12 bundles available that are available from December 4th through the 22nd, and these bundles contain like small amounts of doubloons, uh, coal, a day of uh, free premium account, and some camouflages, and it looks like an additional container. So that's quite generous of World of Warships. Uh, I mean, the rewards aren't super huge. You get, like, maximum of three of any one camouflage in any one of these containers and 50 doubloons, so it's not really that much. But I guess 50 doubloons is better than no doubloons. 
Next up in the World of Warships news for this update is the New Year gifts. Um, and those are just Santa containers. Or they're calling them Santa containers, although they're not really gifts. You have to pay for them still. And they do cost like several thousand doubloons each. And they contain uh, doubloons, which is kind of redundant. Uh, days of premium account, coal, free XP, expendable camouflages, signals, or premium ship. I don't know about this. Um, I think I'd rather, if I was just going to buy something in the game, I'd rather just go buy it rather than wait for it in a container. I mean, I've never been fond of buying containers, but I guess if that's your thing, just to be surprised about what you get, um, well, there's three different containers available, so go ahead and get them. And there's also combat missions, or new combat missions, and these are the Winter Trophy missions. There's 21 total missions over across, or spread across three combat mission groups, and they will become available, or the first of them will become available with the release of this update, which has already gone live, and they will be unlocked on a weekly basis after that. So by completing these uh, things, you get a permanent camouflage for tier 8 ships. So, so I don't know if you're going to do these combat missions for the rewards as you go along or for the final reward of a permanent camouflage, but the permanent camouflage I think looks pretty cool. Uh, it's rather extravagant with various things on the bow and some lights across the ship and a overall blue and white scheme with some swirls on it. It looks kind of like a winter storm, I guess. And I do think it looks pretty sweet. And there is also an advent calendar that has been added to World of Warships, and this is going to run from December 1st to December 31st, so we're six days in. And each day, if you open the advent calendar, you usually get like three signals of a certain type. Uh, not a huge reward, but I guess a boost. It saves you, I guess, a little bit of coal, or, or uh, credits if you buy them in the armory. And... That, uh, I've opened six, all six of them already and gotten quite a few signals. It's, uh, a pretty neat thing that they're adding in World of Warships. I don't remember this many rewards being added into World of Warships last year. So they've definitely upped their game. So I do suggest looking at this this year. I mean, the rewards aren't super high, so if you, uh, if you miss it, there's no big deal there. But it does kind of help out with how much money you're spending on signals, because I know I spent like a million credits the other day on signals, so... Yeah, lots of money being poured into getting those bonuses. There is also three new, or four new premium ships. Uh, two technically completely new ones, and then two ones that have been moved around a little bit. So the first one is the Tier 9 German Destroyer Z44, and that is going to be available in exchange for doubloons. It's also available for 228,000 coal. Um... And the Tier 10 Plymouth, which is a British cruiser, and that is for 27,000 steel. Uh, the Tier 9 Soviet destroyer, the Neustroshimi, uh, is also going to be moved from the steel ship to the coal ships. So it's now available for 296,000 coal. And the American Tier 7 Flint, which used to be available for steel, is now going to be available for 168,000 coal. And Wargaming's thought process behind moving the latter of the two ships, so Neustrashimi and the Flint, is that they were worth too much in uh, the steel, so it was too hard to get them for what they were worth, and now they're going to move them to coal, so it's easier to get for players. Although their prices are purposely placed very high to demonstrate that they still do have a very high value and not to just jib out the people who already bought it with the steel. 
Uh, Steel is a very hard resource to get, and it only comes with competitive gameplay modes, I think. Or it's other than that, it's very hard to get. You get it in like rewards for some missions, and even then, it's usually only like 25 steel at a time. So it's, it takes a long time to get to 25,000 steel. There's also been three different premium ships added to the armory for coal, and that's the British Tier 7 battleship Duke of York, which is a King George V class battleship. That's going to be available for 101,000 coal. The Soviet Tier 7 cruiser Lazo is going to be available for 83,000 coal, and the American Tier 5 destroyer, the Hill, is going to be available for 38,000 coal. Um, those ships are... I've heard mixed things about the Duke of York, Lazo, I don't really know much about, and the hill's basically a necklace, so uh, whatever you think about that. And another thing that's going to be happening in the premium shop is the fact that they're removing five ships from the premium shop, five very popular ships. So uh, in the armory, they are going to remove the Thunderer and the Smalland, uh, those are two very, very potent ships. The Thunderer is just very easy to play, and you can rack up massive amounts of damage with that small end. I don't know a whole lot about I know it's very popular and a pretty good ship, so that's why they're removing it, because you just... You can't go battle without seeing a Thunderer or a Smalland. And the other ships that are being removed are the Tier 9 American Georgia, the Tier 9 American Alaska, and the Tier 8 American battleship, the USS Massachusetts. And these are also very, very popular ships that you can hardly go battle without seeing. I know literally almost every Tier 8 battle I've had has had probably multiple Massachusetts, usually at least one, though. And that gets very annoying because the Massachusetts is a very strong ship, very tough to kill, and you can't really get close to it without facing an inevitable death. Uh, the Georgia, very large guns, very high top speed, pretty good armor so they're also tough to kill just because of how fast they're going and how big the armament is it's hard to deal with as a tier 7 cruiser because you can't counter it if you angle it's pretty much just it's got high uh, penetration angles so you can't really angle against it and if you just bow tank it it's just going to smash clean through the bows straight into your citadel i know i experienced a rather close encounter with a georgia as a tier 7 New Orleans. Uh, to say the least, that was not fun. Uh, and they're also removing the Alaska. I mean, I don't really know. The Alaska on paper doesn't really look like that strong of a ship. Uh, I just know it's very popular, so maybe they're just trying to decrease the density of the Alaska, or at least how many Alaskas are being purchased and played. I know they did this with the Jean Bart. Uh, they removed that a few updates ago, and uh, that's just because of how many Jean Barts would be playing. You get some battles where you'd have like three or four Jean Barts on either side. Albeit that would not happen very commonly, but it did happen. Uh, there's several game balance changes that have occurred. So the Soviet Tier 10 destroyer Kabarask and the Japanese Tier 10 destroyer Harugamo, uh, they have been modified so that their loss of HP when hit by an AP or SAP shell with a caliber of 280mm and above will now not exceed 10% of the maximum damage such a shell can cause. So I assume last or before this that was a higher and that's probably because the Kavarosk is very well armored, and same with the Hurokomo, or fur destroyer, so it will cause mass amounts of damage when being hit by a battleship, and I assume that was kind of annoying to captains of those ships, so they reduced that. 
Uh, British Tier 8 aircraft carrier Implacable has had its maximum bomb damage increased from 5,100 to 5,300, and the chances of a bomb causing a fire on the target has increased from 29 to 30%. So if uh, carriers weren't powerful enough for you, and you just, every time you got bombed by an Implacable, you're like, wow, that did not do enough damage. I'm That's so unrealistic. The Wargaming have obliged... And they have said that we've heard your complaints and we've increased the damage. So now if you're on less than 4,000 health, you're guaranteed to die if they get a penetration. Like pretty much guaranteed to die if the Implacable gets a penetration. So have fun, Destroyer Captains. Uh, Anyways, the American Tier 8 battleship Kansas has had its stigma parameter increase from 1.5 to 1.6. Negligible changes, but that should increase the accuracy of the ship. I don't think that's going to do much in the way of converting a horrible ship like the Kansas into a good ship. But you never know what some people may think. I know it's got less accurate guns than the Colorado, and the Colorado is not fun to play because of how inaccurate its guns are. So uh, maybe that's fixed your issues, uh, Kansas captains, although I doubt it. So your complaints have kind of been heard by Wargaming, but not really. Uh, And the Japanese Tier 9 destroyer Kitakaze has had its detectability range by sea increased from 7.56 to 7.76 kilometers. And other detectability ranges are going to increase uh, accordingly. I know from my personal experience as a battleship captain, I would not say no to detectability increase for Japanese destroyers. Those things are extremely sneaky and can get behind you way too quickly. I had an Asashio get behind me, or as a destroyer right now, I was a tier 7 destroyer and had an Asashio get behind me and not be detected till 4.8 kilometers. And at that point, it was too late. I was on too low of a health because I was trying to dodge HE spam by a Chapayev, I think? Yeah, Chapayev. So I was on reasonably low health trying to get away from that, and then this Asashio just comes out of nowhere and kills me. So, yeah, that was fun. Um, but 7.76 kilometers, that's a large detectability range for a Tier 9 uh, destroyer, especially of Japanese uh, tech tree. So, interesting. I'd be interested to see what you Kitakaze captains would think about that. Uh, feel free to email me at rankamateurpodcast at gmail.com. But uh, I know that's a good thing for us battleship captains. You can see that thing from further away. Although it is a gunboat, so it's probably going to be shooting anyways, but... That's very interesting. So, uh, we would be doing listener mail next, but actually I've got no listener mail in the last two weeks, so if you have any questions at all about what you hear in this podcast or any of my previous podcasts, feel free to email me at rankamateurpodcast at gmail.com. I do love reading and responding to your emails and uh, including them in the next episode of Rank Amateur. But sadly, no emails were sent to me in the last two weeks, so we will go straight into the history, or rather design history, of the Stalingrad, which is the Soviet Tier 10 premium uh, sort of cruiser battleship thingy. I don't know. It's a combination of the two. So right up after the break. And welcome back to Rank Amateur. This is the history section of the Stalingrad episode. So, contrary to what you may think, the Project 82 cruiser, also known as the Stalingrad-class battle cruiser or pocket battleship, or heavy cruiser as the Soviets called it, uh, did actually exist. Uh, sort of. So, it was uh, a long time in the coming in design, and before we get into its kind of uh, sticky history, I guess we'll call it, um, we're going to go into its design specifications. 
So it obviously was the Project 82 design, and as designed, it would have a displacement of 36,500 metric tons, which is huge for a cruiser. There are a lot of battleships smaller than that. It is absolutely massive. Uh, and that's not that's just standard. So fully loaded in like a wartime sort of configuration, this thing would weigh 42,300 tons. That is crazy, or metric tons. And in long tons, that's 41,600. It's huge. It is strangely big. Uh, I don't even know if this thing would have uh, worked as uh, it is planned. The Soviets were, uh, they were very optimistic about most of their designed tanks and ships and other projects that they never completed. So its length was 273.6 meters or 897 point or 897 feet 8 inches. Uh, it had a beam of 32 meters or 105 feet, which is very very large for a cruiser. So under most classifications, this is a battleship. This is just a really or smaller battleship. And even, not even a small battleship, it's just a battleship with a little bit smaller guns. It's huge. And it had a draft of 9.2 meters, so 30 feet 2 inches. That's crazy. You're talking about the draft of, like, the Colorado-class battleship. It is huge. By all classifications, it is massive. It was intended to have an installed power of 280,000 horsepower. That's more horsepower than the Massachusetts-class battleships had. That is crazy. Uh, the propulsion was, or it had four shafts, and they were TV4 geared steam turbines, and it had 12 water tube boilers, or was planned to have 12 water tube boilers. Its ideal speed was 35.5 knots, which is about the speed of the Iowa-class of battleships. It was supposed to have an endurance of 5,000 nautical miles at 18 knots, which is crazy. At a complement of a hundred or one thousand seven hundred and twelve crew members, and it was supposed to have a Gaius two air search radar, a Rif A surface search radar, Icarus Alp and F or Fut B fire control radars. Sorry, these are Soviet names. I'm having a hard time pronouncing them. Uh, it was going to have a Grot and Stag B ra uh, range finding radars, uh, Sultanos one P infrared detectors, and uh, Gurkul's sonar, or Gurkul's sonar, and it was going to have a Coral and Macha jammer systems for its electronic warfare and decoy systems. It was going to be armed with three triple 305 millimeter or 12 inch guns. Uh, so yeah, this is just shy of the Oktoberskaya Revolutsia's armament. It had an extra three 305 millimeter guns. So yeah, by most characteristics or classifications, this is a battleship for sure. It had six, or was planned to have six twin 130 millimeter or 5.1 inch guns as its secondaries, six or quadruple 45 millimeter or 1.8 inch uh, anti-aircraft guns, and ten quadruple 25 millimeter or 0.98 inch guns. And this thing was going to be armored like crazy. I mean, you know the Soviets, they love their armor. So, the waterline belt was going to have 180 millimeters, or 7.1 inch, is of armor. The upper deck was going to have 50 millimeters of armor, or that, that's about 2 inches. That's crazy. 
Most cruisers will love to have 30 millimeters of armor. The Soviets go like, Comrade, 30 millimeter, not enough. We must have 40. Eh, no, 50 millimeters of armor. Uh, and this actually had a three-layer armor system. It was not disclosed what the third layer thickness was going to be, but the upper deck was going to have 50 millimeters. The middle deck was going to have 70 millimeters. And the bottom deck was like, I think, another 20 millimeters or so. So, yeah, very, very thick. Uh, and the turrets were going to have 240 millimeters or 9.4 inches of armor on them. The barbettes were going to have 235 millimeters or 9.3 inches of armor. I'm, like, restraining my laughter right now as to how much armor the Soviets were going to think that they are going to put on a ship and still get 35 and a half knots out of it. Um, the secondary uh, turrets had 25 millimeters of armor, or 0.98 inches, so this is where they're starting to cheap out a little bit. Not that secondary turrets are ever that well armored, but that's a pretty small amount of armor. And the conning tower, of course, can't go below 250 millimeters uh, or 9.8 inches of armor on your conning tower. I mean, why would you want to go... I mean, 240 millimeters? 240 millimeters or less is for capitalists only. True communists put 250. Uh, the bulkheads were going to have 140 or to 125 millimeters or 5.5 to 4.9 inches of armor, which is, uh, I mean, pretty typical for a cruiser. The bulkheads usually have around that much armor, so that's not super crazy. But that belt, though, 180 millimeters of armor? That's crazy. I mean, the New Orleans class had like 125 millimeters, and even just that extra 60 or uh, 55 millimeters, that's a lot of weight. And remember, comrades, this is pure stalinium, strongest metal known to man. So now with those ridiculous stats out of the way, let's get into the actual history of this ship. And the ship was originally designed to break up uh, possible attacks by uh, Britain and then later the United States on Russia's northern ports. And the uh, intended purpose of the ship was to take down the fast cruiser attack forces that might attempt to bombard the northern ports. So this ship had to be very fast to catch these cruisers. And um, by its design speed, it was going to be very fast. And it did follow the basic battle cruiser principle of outgun anything you cannot run and then outrun anything that you can't outgun. So, yeah, I guess we can call this pretty much a battle cruiser. I mean, they have it as a cruiser in World of Warships, although it should be a battleship. I mean, it's got the same type of guns as the Alaska-class cruiser, which is an American Tier 9 cruiser, but they have way better ballistics and penetration. It's ridiculous. So this class originally began, so Project 82 began in May 1941, and this was intended to provide a cruiser that was between the sizes of the Kirov and Chebyev classes of the light cruiser and the Plan Kronstadt cruiser, which was basically a bigger Stalingrad, if you can believe that something could possibly be bigger than the Stalingrad in terms of uh, cruiser size. So it was tended to be a little cheaper than that, and the primary roles were to engage and destroy enemy cruisers armed with the classic 203 mils, the old reliable 8-inch guns. Uh, it was to destroy enemy light cruisers, support your own light cruisers. It was supposed to lay minefields as well, because, I mean, a lot of ships can lay minefields, so this one should definitely be able to if it's the be-all, end-all of ship. And it had to be able to suppress enemy medium-caliber coast defense batteries and support landing operations. 
and it should be able to conduct operations against the enemy's maritime lines of communication. Whatever that means. But uh, I don't think this thing's going to be con conducting any uh, stealth operations as it's huge. I mean, you could see this thing from low Earth orbit. So the original requirements by the Navy of these ships was that it should be around 20,000 tons or less, and it should have 8 2 or 3 mil guns and 1,200 millimeter guns, a dozen 37 millimeter anti-aircraft guns, and one triple 533 millimeter torpedo mount. And it should be armored to withstand 203 millimeter shells with a speed not less than that of 36 knots, which with a range of 10,000 nautical miles, and able to carry four seaplanes launched by two catapults. So this was actually a fairly typical cruiser. I mean, it looks a lot on paper like a U.S. cruiser, a slightly faster U.S. cruiser with torpedoes. And I guess if those of you who know a little bit more about Soviet history are already saying this, uh, yeah, that was before Stalin got involved. <laughs> he, uh, he had quite a bit of a say in the design of this cruiser, and what he said was uh, viewed as orders. And when that happens, you get some pretty interesting designs. Because in his mind, big gun equal good ship. Lots of armor equal good ship. Fast ship equal good ship. So, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what you got. A big ship with lots of guns and lots of armor. And it had to be very fast. So, that it was. But this was all before Operation Barbarossa, when the Germans decided to invade the Soviet Union, which was a bit of a suicide move. So after that was sort of under control in 1943, the design process was reinitiated with new requirements, and it was sort of similar, but the new requirement was that it had to be able to protect the operations of aircraft carriers and conduct joint operations with them. And so the characteristics of the ship were changed. It should be between 20,000 and 22,000 tons now. It should have nine main guns between the calibers of 210 to 230 millimeters. Have a secondary battery of a dozen 130 millimeter dual purpose guns. So now these are anti-aircraft guns as well. And have 32, 37 millimeter AA guns. The speed, range, and aircraft requirements all remain the same as before. And the torpedo tubes were dropped, though, however, as they were not seen as very useful on a ship of this size. And there was over a dozen designs that were proposed by May of 1944. However, none of these were deemed successful by the Soviet government, a.k.a. Joseph Stalin. So as you can imagine, the designs were, again, changed in November 1944, and they attain a more realistic displacement of 25,000 to 26,000 tons. And the speed was dropped to 33 knots, so a typical American cruiser range. And the range was dropped to 8,000 nautical miles at 18 knots. And the armament was again revised to 9 220mm guns, 16 130mm guns, 32-45mm guns, and 20-23mm guns. And these were the last were intended to be AA guns. Uh, those last weapons were changed again to 25mm in 1945. So, Admiral Nikolai Kuznetsov had believed very strongly in that the ships could protect the planned Soviet aircraft carriers. Quick side note, what carriers do you think are going to be introduced to World of Warships as new carriers later on? 
Hint, it's probably going to be the Soviet carriers, because what don't the Soviets have? Um, anyways, and he believed that these ships could protect the Soviet aircraft carriers, even in bad weather, from American cruisers, and thus he pushed to have them built. But the shipbuilding commission said no, because they were too overloaded with work uh, building other wartime materials and did not know what the shipbuilding situation would be like after the war. Uh, so the Navy basically said, okay, we'll keep designing stuff. When you're ready, come let us know. And they kept designing and dreaming about what their big battle cruisers could look like when they're finally built. And essentially, the reason why the shipbuilding uh, bureau said that they couldn't build these uh, cruisers is because they didn't have the infrastructure to build such a ship. The Soviet Union had built a ship of that size ever. I mean, the the largest ships that they've built at the time were the Chapayev class of light cruisers, and those were, I mean, just light cruisers. The Russian, I guess the Russian civilization hadn't built a large ship since the Ging class of uh, battleships in the 1910s. So it had been quite a long time since the Russian civilization had been able to construct a ship of that size. So they actually had to build new shipbuilding facilities to house ships of this size. And the shipbuilding committee said that they wouldn't be able to lay down a ship that big until around 1950, which was much too long for the Soviet Navy, which was getting very impatient at this point. And so by 1947, the shipbuilding committee was more able to, I guess, predict what the development of a ship like this would be like uh, by around 1947. So in 1947, the shipbuilding committee and the Navy each had a design that they had uh, come up with themselves, and then they had a joint design that they had come up with together. So the design that they separately had actually had 305 millimeter guns. So both of them had separately come up with a design with 305 millimeter guns, and they had jointly come up with a design with 220 millimeter guns. Although the shipbuilding ministry's design was 2,000 tons smaller than the Navy's 40,000 ton design, and had an armor belt 50 millimeters or two inches thinner, but it was just pretty much identical otherwise. I mean, how many different ways can you design a heavy cruiser? And the joint design was 2,000 tons smaller than the shipbuildings committee's one. So this was a fairly large cruiser, but definitely not a battle cruiser per se. And it had a reduced secondary armament and was 1.5 knots faster. So it was more of a cruiser than a battleship or a battle cruiser. And they all had a range of 6,000 miles at 18 knots. And they weren't actually reviewed by Stalin and his contemporaries at the, uh, I guess, kind of approval board of the ships until 1948. And this was said because the Soviet Union needed to react on the Marshall Plan, which is just basically a ton of money that the United States gave to Western Europe to rebuild after World War II to kind of entice the Eastern European nations into coming over to a more capitalist system of government. And after this uh, Marshall Plan had been dealt with by the Soviet Union, Stalin managed to approve the more heavily protected design that the Navy had proposed, of course, because, you know, who couldn't use more protection on your heavy cruiser to make it effectively a battle cruiser or a battleship? And uh, so this was actually subject to even more delays 
because of the Tito-Stalin split, so the split between Yugoslavia and the Soviet Union and the Berlin blockade, which was when the Soviet Union blocked the Western Allies' access to Western Berlin and caused them to initiate the Berlin airlift. But uh, this was approved on August 31st, or at least the Stalingrad-class cruiser as we know it today was approved on August 31st, 1948. So then began the sketching process of the ship, and the sketching process was completed, and it was submitted for approval to the Council of Ministers, which is going to approve the or locate the funding for the construction of the rest of the ship. And uh, they preferred a certain or certain uh, sketch of the ship, and there was four sketches submitted, and the Navy and the Shipbuilding Ministry concurred, so they began the technical uh, design process of the ship. And then Stalin came along and was like, no, 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 I don't want that ship. And in September 1949, he formally rejected it and ordered a smaller, faster ship capable of at least 35 knots. And they finally produced a preliminary technical design by the end of 1949, which is extremely quick for what should have been a very thorough and involved process, but I guess maybe they took some shortcuts. And there's actually a reason for this, and they did take shortcuts. And essentially, the shortcut is some genius decided, hey, let's just take the two rearmost 130mm turrets and their really heavy magazines and armor, just take them off, use that space to shove more turbines and boilers in here, just pack them in as tight as we can get them, and then uh, that'll make our ship faster. And it actually did, so they calculated that it would reach uh, Stalin's required 35 knots. And as you can imagine, the Navy did not like this because they had a big ship and then Stalin just made it smaller. So uh, they did not like the reduction to 36,000 tons to achieve this high speed that he demanded. So in March 1950, the Navy and Stalin, or the Navy admirals and Stalin, met in the Kremlin, where Stalin revealed his, uh, I guess, his thought process behind his demands. And they responded to his question, sorry, the admirals responded to his question, and they stated that the purpose of these ships was to fight the enemy's heavy cruisers. And then Stalin contradicted them and said that their purpose was actually to fight light cruisers. And actually, there is a quote of what Stalin said. It is necessary to increase its speed to 35 knots, create a cruiser that will cause panics among the enemy's light cruisers, disperse them, and destroy them. And he believed that they would fight close to home, defending the coastal waters of the Soviet Union, and thus would not need to travel as far and be as self-sufficient as the English or the American cruisers would, he says. You could not blindly copy the American and English. They face different conditions. Their ships travel far over the ocean, out of touch with their bases. We are not considering conducting oceanic battles, but instead fight close to our own shores. So we do not need a large ammunition supply on the ship. And this is actually a quote from Stalin. And that means that they can save tons of weight by not storing as much ammunition on the ship because they think that they can access a resupply base very, very quickly. And, of course, the admirals did not like the reduction in secondary armament made to accommodate the larger machinery and extra boilers needed to reach the speed that Stalin demanded. Uh, but he also reminded them that most aircraft would attack the ballot cruiser at heights below 4,900 feet, or 1,500 meters, and the ceiling of the 130-millimeter gun was far in excess of that, and thus it made it unnecessary. 
which is actually kind of a forward-thinking thought. Rather than just putting all the big guns you can on a ship, you don't need those guns, so you can take those weight off. Um, and then he also ordered a reduction in the light anti-aircraft guns, making kind of a uh, arrogant belief that the escorts of the ship would defend it with their light anti-aircraft guns. You know who also made that decision? The Japanese. And guess what happened with their Yamato? It sank to anti-aircraft attacks. So thank goodness thing, this thing was never built, or at least for Stalin. And this design, as it was viewed that Stalin's views were kind of orders, uh, it was approved by the Council of Ministers on March 25th, 1950. And there was some modifications made to this design, like adding more of a clipper bow to it, because uh, it was going to have the same bow as the lead ship of the Chapayev class. And in sea trials of that ship, they found that the Chapayev was very, what they call, wet forward, which means there was a lot of water coming out of the, uh, over the bow. So this, uh, Im or this impacted the ship's sea-keeping ability, which meant that it was harder to uh, use in rougher conditions, so they added more of a clipper bow to keep more of the water where it belongs, in the ocean and not on the ship. So minor modifications as well uh, pertaining to the belt armor. It was increased from 150 to 180 millimeters, and this was possibly because of um, some weight savings elsewhere, uh, namely the reduction in the amount of secondary guns. So uh, this design basically just went straight into the technical design process and then straight onto the slipways. It was very quick after this. So on to the ship's final design. So the final design... Uh, had a crew of 1,712 men, and had space for 30 when acting for as a flagship. And this ship cost 1.168 billion rubles, and that was four times the cost of a Serdov-class cruiser, so 322 million for the Serdov-class cruiser. And this is equivalent to, I think, about $150 million, I'm not sure, on the exact conversions of that, but it is a large cost, and it is intended to be commanded by a rear admiral. So not just your normal captain here, it was actually supposed to be commanded by a rear admiral. So it uh, just kind of emphasizes how important this ship was to the Soviet Navy. So the ship had a pretty complex propulsion system as well, and it had those TV4 geared steam turbines, as I said before, each producing 70,000 shaft horsepower, and they were driving one propeller. They were powered by 12 water tube boilers that operated at a pressure of 939 psi, or uh, 6,472 6, kPa. And this was at a temperature of 460 degrees Celsius, or 860 degrees Fahrenheit. So pretty typical of a boiler. And the machinery was arranged in a unit system, so that one hit to a critical spot of the uh, ship could not immobilize the ship. So if one hit was to a ununitized uh, ship, it could knock out all the boilers or all the turbines and completely immobilize the ship. But they alternated these spaces, so one hit could knock out some of the boilers or some of the turbines and damage the ship and reduce its speed, but it could still move which is the most critical part. And it had eight 750-kilowatt turbo generators that drove the 380-volt, 50 hertz electrical system uh, on the ship, and it also had four 1,000-kilowatt or 1,300-horsepower 1, diesel generators located outside each end of the 
uh, armored citadel for a total power generating capacity of 10,000 kilowatts. And that's a lot of energy. That can keep around 346 average American houses running. So, yeah, this thing consumed a lot of energy, and that's just because it was a big ship. And by the way the ship was armored, you could tell that it was definitely a cruiser killer. It had 29% of its total displacement devoted to armor, and it was meant to have immunity, essentially, to 8-inch and 6-inch high-explosive shells and 1,100-pound uh, high-explosive bombs. So that's around a 500-kilogram bomb. So it was meant to have immunity to 8-inch armor-piercing shells that ranges between 13,000 and 15,000 yards, which is around 12 to 14 kilometers, and this immunity range extended out to 34,000 yards, or around 31 kilometers. So yes, ships in real life had much longer ranges than the ships in World of Warships, and that's just meant to make sure that the combat's a little bit more intense and less boring in World of Warships. That was a gameplay decision made by Wargaming, which I 100% agree with. And the armament on this ship was a little bit interesting. So first they were going to go with basically just using the turrets off of the old battleships. You're talking about the Oktobreskaya Revolutsia and the Petropavlovsk and the Marat and things like that, uh, which were from the Tarist era of uh, battleship making. So you're talking about the old Ganget class. And those had 305mm guns on them. So the first thing they were going to do is just take those guns, plop them on the uh, Stalingrad, and call it done. And they eventually decided to uh, go with the more powerful 61 caliber gun of the same size. And there was some slight delegation on using the 305mm guns for the planned battleship or battlecruiser Kronstadt, and that had 305mm 54 caliber guns. And on naval guns, caliber is essentially the width of the or the length of the barrel divided by the width of the barrel. And so if you take 305mm divided by however long the gun was, you get the caliber on that gun. In this case, the barrel of the Kronstadt's gun was around 600 uh, and 12 inches long. And this is done in feet, so or in the customary system. So if your gun is 16 inches uh, wide, you take the 800 inch, um, uh, the take the 800 inch length of the gun, and then you divide it by that 16, and you get the caliber of the gun. In case of the Iowa class, it's around 50. Uh, so on the Stalingrad, they were going to use a 61 caliber gun, and the longer the barrel, the more accurate your weapon is. So that means that these guns were designed to be incredibly accurate. And this was given a completely new uh, turret, so it was the SM-6 turret. Each individual gun weighed 101.58 tons, and that is actually fairly light for a gun of that size. And the complete turret weighed around 1,350 long tons. So, yeah, they were fairly heavy, to say the least. And the guns could be to negative 4 degrees, so the guns could tilt down negative 4 degrees. And then they could elevate 50 degrees at a rate of 10 degrees per second. So it would take them 5 seconds to get to full elevation. And the traverse speed was 4.5 degrees per second for a total... Uh, tra traverse time for 180 degrees of 40 seconds, which is fairly slow. Of course, wargaming were like, no, 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 a Russian ship with a slow uh, turret traverse time? No, 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 no. We have to up this to 5 degrees per second, and this gets a grand total of 36 seconds of a 
to traverse time, which is still a little slow, but it's a lot faster than its original to traverse time of merely uh, 40 seconds. The muzzle velocity of the ship was 950 meters a second, so that is completely accurate with World of Warships. The World of Warships version of the ship does have a shovel velocity of 950 meters a second, which is incredibly good. And the rate of fire was 3.26 rounds per minute for a total reload time of around 18 and a half seconds, which is actually slower or faster than what it is in World of Warships. The reload time in World of Warships is 20 seconds, so I guess Wargaming were a little bit nice to us. But speaking of main armament, there was actually a design variant of this ship that removed all the main armament and replaced it with missile silos. And this was initially rejected, or actually rejected wholeheartedly, because they would need a stabilization system to have any chance of hitting their target within the same zip code. So they didn't really want to design that whole system, so they just went with the, uh, with the main armament that they had already designed. So they also considered putting ballistic missiles on this ship. Except for the fact that it would take three hours to configure them to be ready to launch from the, I guess, stowage position. So that really wasn't going to work, so they decided against that. So we get the Stalingrad that we know and love in World of Warships, the conventionally gun-armed ship. This ship also had a suit of electronics that was rather, I don't know... A little bit outdated at this time. It was uh, traditional directors and things that had been used by the U.S. Navy in World War II. There's actually no, uh, there's no like evidence of any radar-targeted guns or anything that I can see on the specifications of the ship. So they were a little bit behind their time. There might have been some radar guidance, but it wasn't as good as the United States. Uh, they did also have air search radar though and surface search so they could find their target i don't think they could target their target with their radars there was not radar directed guns as far as i can see but they did also have radar jammers on their either side of the main mast and another radar jamming system on the foremast and these were just supposed to screw up the radar uh, signature of the ship so that it wouldn't be as recognizable. So what actually happened to these ships? Well, I mean, it's uh, fairly sad. So the Stalingrad was laid down on December 31st, 1951. The Moskva, which is the next ship, uh, not the one that you traditionally know in the game, uh, that's a little different, but the Moskva in real life was laid down on September 1952. And the Kronstadt, because the other Kronstadt class of uh, battlecruisers had been cancelled, was laid down in October of 1952. And the sad part is, is that Stalin was really enthusiastic about these ships. So he was the person behind these ships. He's the one who breathed the life into them, even though it was his vodka-stained breath. It was breath nonetheless. So what happened when he died, these ships were still in construction. Uh, the Stalingrad, the Moskva, and the Kronstadt were all on the slipways still. So they decided to launch the Stalingrad, which happened on uh, March 16th, 1954, even though work had not been done on it since Stalin died. And they decided to scrap the Moskva and the Kronstadt, both in their slipways. So what happened to the Stalingrad? Well, like most other ships that aren't complete, they just used it as a target hulk. And... What was interesting is the fact that it was actually hard to sink. So even though this thing is like a half-built, like mangled target hawk, they had a hard time sinking it. 
And you might be like, oh, that's just because the Soviet Navy is pathetic. No, it's not. It actually happened to U.S. Navy several times when they were trying to sink aircraft carriers to see how much it would take to sink the aircraft carriers. And even with no damage control crews of any kind aboard the ship, it was still very hard to sink. The U.S. Navy ended up just having a demolitions team ex- uh, board the ship and then uh, rig explosives on it, and then it blew up from the inside out. And there's very little that can prevent that or prevent a ship from sinking because of that cause. So they basically had to just keep shooting at the ship, uh, or as far as the Soviets are concerned, they had to keep shooting at it until it went down. And it finally went down after many a shot from their six-inch guns and their bombs from their naval aircraft. Do you think that the Russian admirals may have just slightly regretted when they were shooting at the ship? them just completely writing it off and scrapping it because they could have had that ship that would have been able to resist the allied missile strikes to the nth degree and would still be able to strike because remember when the ship is serving it has damage control parties aboard so this ship would literally be impossible to sink assuming that its damage control party was capable of thinking and breathing at the same time but that just about wraps up the history section of the stalingrad And now, after the break, we will be on to the World of Warships section on this ship. And welcome back to Rank Amateur, and we are going to be doing the World of Warships section on the Stalingrad, the mostly battle cruiser, somewhat heavy cruiser, uh, Russian ship. I'm just going to call it a ship for now because it doesn't really have a good classification. So in World of Warships, it's fairly accurately represented in the game. There's been some minor tweaks to make it not super overpowered. It's still a little bit on the overpowered side, but uh, certainly not to make it weak by any means. So without further ado, let's get into the specs of this ship. So she has a whopping 72,450 hit points. I believe that is the most hit points of any cruiser in the game. That might be rivaled by the Alaska class, although I'm not sure on that. So our main battery consists of nine 305mm 61 caliber SM31 guns, which is a little different than what was in the uh, design, but they're basically the same. So the rate of fire is three shots a minute, uh, reload time is 20 seconds, and 180 degree turret traverse time is 36 seconds. Firing range is 20.35 kilometers. I believe that is some of the longest range of any cruiser in the game, uh, which is very good for the way you're supposed to play the ship. More on that later, though. Uh, maximum dispersion is 218 meters, which is not that bad, especially at maximum range. So this thing is fairly accurate. Um, you can get some pretty wonky salvos but this thing has a very very high stigma value so that means that your shells will likely land close to each other so it's not like the colorado where if you fire it's like firing a shotgun where it just goes everywhere it's like if your shells are going to miss they're pretty much all going to miss so the he shell she fires is in 305 millimeter he model 1928 and that's maximum he shell damage of 4500 so not super bad but she has a whopping 33 percent chance of hitting fire or getting fire not hitting fire getting fire so that is crazy so it means basically you almost always have a fire going as soon as you land a salvo especially if you have all nine guns on that ship you're probably going to start a fire I mean, if you had an extra gun, that means that one or three of those shells would start a fire. 
if it, it was exact. Now, there's obviously weird things where you might have six of the shells that start a fire, but if they land in the same spot, they'll only start one fire. But that's more game mechanics thing. Um, so you're you're pretty much guaranteed to start a fire if you fire the high explosive shells. Although that's uh, more on that later as far as firing high explosive versus uh, armor piercing. So the initial HE shell velocity is 950 meters a second. The HE shell weight is 374.7 kilograms. The AP shell is a 305 millimeter AP model 1928. Maximum AP shell damage is a whopping 9,200, which is quite a bit. The initial AP shell velocity is 950 meters a second. And the AP shell weight is 467 kilograms. Secondary armament consists of those 130mm 60 caliber BLA-109As. There's six turrets, each with two guns in them. Firing range is 6.5 kilometers, which is decent. Rate of fire 15 shots a minute, so reload time of 4 seconds. HE shell is an HE-42 shell. And maximum HE shell damage is 1,800, which is fairly standard for a secondary uh, gun in World of Warships. Most ships' secondary battery guns can deal up to 18,000 damage, or no, 1,800 damage, excuse me. Uh, initial HE shell velocity is identical to that of the main guns at 950 meters a second. Chance of fire on target caused by HE shell is 8%. Now, the AA defense is... it's okay. I mean, it's it's like... it's decent. It's not good. It's not that bad. So, it, it'll do pretty sufficient for you. I mean, obviously, since the aircraft carrier rework, AA power has been nerfed significantly. But uh, it has 25 milliliter buffers. Or not both, or excuse me. Those are American ships. 25 millimeter guns, 45 millimeter guns, and those 150 or 130 millimeter guns are dual purpose, so they will fire an aircraft. Maneuverability is a bit of a mixed bag with the Stalingrad. The maximum speed is crazy at 35 knots. That's very fast for a ship of this size. But the turning circle radius is where things start to turn a little bit sour. The turning circle radius is, I believe. The largest in the game, if not uh, very close to that, at 1,130 meters. Yes, you heard me right. That is more than double the turning circle radius of the USS Colorado of last week's episode, or at least close to it. And the rudder shift time is 12.5 seconds. Oh my gosh. So good luck dodging shots with the uh, Stalingrad. Good thing it has a large enough health pool to compensate for that. Uh, the concealment, also very terrible. This thing will be spotted from 18.12 kilometers away. Most battleships don't get spotted that far away. In fact, I'm pretty sure that the Tier 8 North Carolina will outspot this thing by around 4 kilometers or so. 3 maybe? Yeah. And its air detectability range is just as bad as 11.02 kilometers, so... You can see this thing from low Earth orbit, like literally low Earth orbit. So maybe the more knowledgeable of you are thinking, okay, so we have great guns, long-range guns, pretty accurate. We have reasonable AA defense. We have high top speed, terrible maneuverability, and terrible concealment. What kind of ship do we have here? Pop quiz. Okay, I'll give it to you. We have a flanking ship. This ship sits out on the flanks, and it loves to sit there. 
It does not like to be engaging in close quarters combat at all, except for destroyers. Destroyers uh, tend to melt under this thing, just because the high explosive can do so much damage with its large fire chance and uh, low chance of um, not penetrating, just because of the high uh, damage output of this ship. But more on the way it plays a little later. So the recommended upgrades for Stalingrad. Uh, slot 1, main armaments modification 1. You can go with these auxiliary armaments modification 1, but I will never recommend an anti-aircraft build to anyone until these aircraft carriers are dealt with as far as being nerfed, which might never happen because they just don't do anything. You'd be better off upgrading what actually works, which is your main guns, than upgrading what kind of works, which is your anti-aircraft guns. They don't, even on a full AA spec Des Moines with uh, defensive AA and a priority target sector, you will still get bombs dropped on you just because Wargaming doesn't care about historically accurate AA weapons. So, Enough with that, I guess. Just go main armaments modification 1 and forget about it. You'll be fine. Slot 2, surveillance radar modification 1. Now, this is a special consumable because it's only available from the armory, I believe. Or, yeah, you have to buy it. And that uh, can... Some people don't necessarily have that. So, what I to recommend is that you get that if you have, if you can. Or just go with the damage control systems because that's what I think is most valuable, because this thing is a big target. It likes to take lots of HE spam, although it's not going to take a huge amount of damage from that, because remember, it's got that 50mm plating. Uh, it will still take fire damage, so that's always useful not to have a uh, high chance of fire. Um, slot 3, aiming systems modification 1. This is also with an asterisk at the end, so... I mean, you could do AA guns modification 1, or main battery modification 2. And this is going to get your turret traverse faster, and the AA guns is going to get your AA guns to be, well, better. But I recommend aiming systems because if you're going to play this how I would play it, I would need the increased accuracy of my guns to, um, I guess, play better. So slot 4, you're going to do damage control system modification 2. Again, this is also up in the air. As you could do steering gears modification 1 or propulsion modification 1. And those are going to increase the rudder shift time, or decrease the rudder shift time rather, and decrease the amount of time it takes to reach full top speed. And depending on the way you play, uh, that might go either way. I wouldn't take propulsion systems modification one because this isn't an American cruise. You're not hopping in and out of islands a lot. You're just more staying in open water. So that's not going to be super useful because ideally you stay at full speed the entire time. Uh, and steering gears modification one, that might be the one that's mainly contesting damage control systems because uh, you can dodge incoming fire more effectively if your if your uh, rudder shift time is a little less. However, on Stalingrad, the fires will burn for full 60 seconds if you don't have anything to reduce the burn time of the fires. So I really do recommend the damage control systems modification 2 to get that down to, what, like 45 seconds, I think it is. No, 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 it's like 47 or something. But um, 
if you get that down further, you're obviously going to take less damage, and I think that's utmost in preserving that health pool because there is a lot of it, but you just don't want to throw it away because, remember, Stalingrad is a cruiser, and if you get caught broadside once, you want to have a little bit more health to give you a buffer to take that first salvo from that surprise salvo from that battleship you didn't realize was there, as situational awareness is fairly important with this ship. So, slot 5, Concealment Systems Modification 1. So this is a little bit up in the air as well. So pretty much all these consumables on Stalingrad are up in the air. So instead of taking the concealment systems, which some would argue is kind of like polishing a turd, like you don't need the concealment on the Stalingrad just because the range is so long. And if you're firing, you're going to be spotted from 20 kilometers away anyways. So may as well just not really care about that. So if you want to go with steering gears modification two, that's going to decrease your rudder shift time by a further, uh, I think, 40% and the repair time by an 80% uh, margin. So that is quite a bit. So you can actually get that rudder shift time down to like, I think, what is it, like eight seconds, seven seconds, which isn't really that bad. It's actually quite maneuverable at that point. Now, the uh, turning circle radius, there's really nothing to do about that. That's, that's just going to be bad. I mean, you're just going to have to put up with that. And finally, in slot 6, we have Main Battery Modification 3. And Main Battery Modification 3 is going to increase the rate of fire of the guns at the cost of your turret traverse. Which isn't that big of a deal, because ideally you'll be playing on the flanks, and you won't really need that turret traverse all that much. And if you're a little bit maybe more passive, and you just want to... I guess go further out in the flanks you could go with gunfire control systems modification 2 to increase the range of your main battery guns although it is already 20 kilometers so i don't really see you needing that as it is a cruiser and it could maneuver around incoming shells at that range i mean you could go with that there's nothing wrong with that uh some people do like to put auxiliary armaments modification 2 because they just swear by the aa builds i don't recommend that if you want to go but i just see there's so much of a better uh, benefit from taking the main battery modification through the gunfire control systems modification 2 over that auxiliary armaments modification 2 because it just remember AA guns don't really do that much so it's there's no point in really upgrading them because even if you fully upgrade them they're really not going to do that much I've seen full AA spec Clevelands and things still get just mutilated by aircraft carriers. So it's going to happen anyways. May as well invest in making things that could be way better, better than making something that's okay, just okayer. So that wraps it up for upgrades. Let's go back on to the commander skills. Uh, in tier 1, I'm always going to say it, and it's going to be the first thing on all my ships, is priority target. It is essential for situational awareness. You can pull off risky maneuvers even though you're detected if you know no one's targeting you. But if you don't have that skill, a thousand people could be targeting Okay, so all 12 players could be targeting you. Not a thousand people, but all 12 players could be targeting you, and you wouldn't know it. Versus you'd know it if you had the priority target. Uh, so I always recommend that. Uh, preventative maintenance, yeah, you could you could do that. That's fairly useful. Um, I just recommend coming back for that skill and getting the uh, priority target instead. So the third one, uh, or no, second tier, I mean, and that is the first skill I would get is adrenaline rush because the reload time is rather long, and even with the main armaments. Uh, mod or no main armaments mod three yeah mod three uh 
you can get that down to like 18 or 17 seconds or so. But this Adrenaline Rush is super effective on Stalingrad because she has a large hit point pull. So as you lose that health, which you will, I will tell you, it's a cruiser, you will end up losing your health. Uh, that will help you in getting those guns firing faster because it is a little bit of a sluggish reload, which can be a little painful to wait for sometimes. Uh, you can also go with, or at least on the second time around, Expert Marksman, because the turret traverse is a little on the slow side. It's not bad, but it definitely could be improved. Uh, Jack of All Trades, also very viable. And then High Alert, which is a 10% reduction in the reload time of your uh, damage control party, which can be useful because you will see a lot of fires set on the ship, and that uh, can save your butt sometimes, especially if you eat a bunch of torpedoes from a shimikaze or, or gearing or something like that. So tier 3 is kind of a split uh, sort of uh, bag on this, I guess, or a split route, so you could go with Superintendent, and since this ship does have surveillance radar, I do recommend... Uh, doing that because you'll get that extra charge of surveillance radar, which can be useful if you all of a sudden see a very angry looking smoke screen on the horizon. And since the ship does not have hydroacoustic search, you do want to get rid of those destroyers as quickly as possible. So superintendent can allow you to do that more effectively by giving you that extra charge. Basic so survivability is also a viable route for those going for the survival build. Uh, that is a uh, 15% reduction in the time of repair, fire extinguishing, and recovery from flooding, which is important on this ship because it does have the fires that burn for the full 60-second uh, duration, which can be horrific or can do horrific things to your hit point pool. Uh, fire prevention uh, in or tier 4 is fire prevention. That's the most useful one. It's 10%. Uh, to the risk of fire because remember the fires are very dangerous on this ship because they do burn for the full 60 second duration so having uh, a reduction of the number of fires that you can have burning which is uh, four turning to three with this skill and a 10 percent reduction in the amount of time it takes to extinguish them is also useful so those skills in addition to the upgrades that you put on this ship can be very useful uh, and stack up to reduce your fire duration to, I think you can get down to like 35 seconds, I think, around there, 35, 40, something like that. I've heard a lot of people say that Concealment Expert is really good on the ship, and yes, that is true, because its detection radius is so large that even a 10% reduction is going to do lots of things for your detection radius, but it's, uh, I mean... It's going to be bad anyways. I mean, you take 10% off, you get, what, like 16 kilometers or so? That's still very, very bad for a cruiser. So since you're on the flanks, it's not really going to matter that much. And chances are, if something's coming that close, there's probably a battleship by you that's also spotted. So it doesn't really matter all that much since you're a battleship, or basically a battleship with a cruiser tag on it. I would actually go for RPF, so radio position finding, before you go for concealment expert. And that is because it shows the direction of the nearest enemy ship. And if you're playing on the flank, all those, or the radio position finding, should be pointing in one direction, correct? Because all the other ships are in that direction, thus the closest ship should be in that direction. However, 
if it's pointing another direction, like, say, behind you, you probably know that there's a destroyer you should be looking for. And especially if you're detected, you know that you should probably use your radar to detect the destroyer that is probably stalking you and is probably launched torpedoes toward you. And if you detect it and it's like a Friesland or something like that or something that doesn't have torpedoes, well, then you know that you don't have any threat and you could just take care of it. But if it's a Shimakaze, then you know you probably should adjust your course and speed so that those torpedoes miss. So I think the radio position finding is more valuable to a person who maybe doesn't have the best situational awareness and maybe didn't see that Shimakaze sneak behind them or something like that. Uh, But so it would let you know that there's something back there and it promotes that situational awareness that's essential for working on the flank because if you push too far up a flank you can get crossfired very easily so that helps people who maybe aren't as experienced working with a type of ship like this uh, i guess get more out of the game so signals load out fairly standard for a cruiser that has a heel um, you're going to go with the india yankee juliet yankee B- biso 2 India Delta, uh, November Foxtrot. You can go with November Echo Set 7. Uh, I personally go with it just because I have like 200 of them, and why not? Um, I mean, it's not super useful. I wouldn't go out and buy it, but uh, it can be used. And then, of course, you got your economic signals. Whichever ones you have, just fly them. Uh, if you don't have any of them, there's no harm in not ha- having any of them. I personally would not go buy them, but if you have them, fly them. Uh, the India Yankee and the Yankee Bissell 2, yeah, you could do both of them. I would definitely fly the India Yankee first because, remember, those fires are going to have that full 60-second duration. And why not fly the Juliet Yankee Bissell 2? Uh, India Delta is a must because it helps uh, in recovering more HP when you use your repair party. Uh, I would definitely recommend using that. And then you could also run Sierra Mike and that's going to increase the ship's maximum speed. Uh, you could also run, or you should also run November Foxtrot, which is going to reduce the reload time on all your consumables. I run that on most of the ships that I use, and, I mean, it's just useful. It's a good thing to have. All the other ones, you could run them. They certainly provide a benefit. Uh, Juliet Charlie does, but they, they're not as important. So if you have them, yeah, fly them. If you don't, mm, uh, there's no there's no harm in not flying them. Uh, this ship is pretty strong as it comes. I don't think it really needs any signals except for the India Delta, Juliet Yankee, and India Yankee. Um, just a quick note on the defensive AA fire that this ship has. It's a different version than the standard one. It has a duration of 60 seconds instead of the standard 30 seconds. And the damage multiplier is uh, an extra 25% damage rather than an extra 50% damage. And the cooldown is longer at 180 seconds, so... It's uh, a little interesting, but it does, uh, I guess, up your AA output for longer. So I guess, I don't know how you look at it. Defensive AA fire for me personally isn't that useful of a consumable. So, I mean, if you have it and can't swap it, yeah, sure, use it. But if I have it on a ship and can swap it for hydroacoustic search, like on the American cruises, I always do that. So on to the gameplay of this ship. So it plays pretty much like the Henri the Fourth, and... That is flanking. You sit out on the flank and then plink at things from maximum range. And I mean, I guess that doesn't sound like the most exciting gameplay, but it can be. Because 
you're you're dealing damage to something that really can't deal damage to you because remember you're a big cruiser but you're still a cruiser you're not a yamato so you're still kind of a small target and you also have uh a if you upgraded right a good rudder shift time or a reasonable rudder shift time and since you have your large guns you can punish broadside cruisers even angled cruisers because remember it has or I, actually, I didn't say this, but it does have an improved penetration angle, so it won't ricochet until 65 degrees, or won't automatically ricochet until 65 degrees. There's still a chance that it could ricochet before that, based on the game mechanics and how that works, but um, that's kind of a whole nother conversation. So it would be able to penetrate even some angled battleships. It could penetrate... Uh, don't expect to really penetrate, uh, bow tanking Yamato, because remember, these aren't 18-inch guns, they are just 12-inch guns, but you probably would be able to do some serious damage to Yamato that's exposing its weak cheek armor, and what I mean by that is underneath the forward two turrets, so the A turret and the B turret, there is a weak part of the armor straight underneath them, and that is very, very easy to penetrate, which is why I don't go broadside in a Yamato. But if you see a Yamato going broadside or trying to angle, aim for straight under the turrets. It's pretty much a guaranteed citadel with a gun larger than around nine or 8 to 10 inches. So battleships can exploit it, and the Stalingrad too. So the Stalingrad, however, is vulnerable herself. Remember, she is just a cruiser. She is not a full-blown battleship she has 180 millimeters of side plating which is a lot but there's not much behind that i mean you do have your 50 millimeter plating and then uh, i think a 25 millimeter plating which is extremely effective when angling because if something penetrates at 180 mil when you're angled there's a guarantee or almost guaranteed chance that it's not going to penetrate the further uh layers so it will get a penetration and it will deal some damage but it won't get a citadel However, when you're not angled, just like Russian battleships, that armor really stops working, and this cruiser will melt. So that makes the gameplay of this ship fairly simple. I mean, it's not a cruiser that's... Uh, I guess it's it's kind of like a, you're dipping your toe into cruisers. It's sort of a bridge between there. So it's not quite a battleship, so you can't quite play it like that, because it is more fragile than a battleship. But it's certainly not as fragile as a, I don't know, a Warchester or a Minotaur. In fact, the Stalingrad can overmatch the Minotaur's armor, or actually any British cruiser's armor, ex with the exception of their heavy cruisers, uh, and citadel it from any angle. So, yeah, that's fun. So, what's the gist of this ship? How do you play it? Well, maximum range, or sort of maximum range, because it's got the good stigma value. And maximum speed, try not to have to maneuver too much to dodge shells, because remember, the turning circle radius of the ship is very bad. Um, and sit out on the flanks. No, I don't mean, like, basically, like, just they're barely in your range. Like, your range is uh, 20.35 kilometers, and you're sitting at, like, 20.25 kilometers, and you're just barely planking them. No, sit at, like, 18 to 16 to 18 kilometers or 16 to 19 kilometers and actually do something now if you see a flank that needs to be pushed yes push it because this ship is durable it's more durable than cruiser so if you see a cruiser that's kiting and you see an opportunity push yes push don't just like sit in the back of the map and do nothing with the aircraft carriers but 
don't also rush in. This ship really isn't that great for brawling. It's it, it's good for brawling if you can stay angled, but once you get into the point where you're exchanging shots broadside, it melts. It just melts like ice cream on a hot day. So stay at that range. So just stay at range and fire your armor piercing, high explosive at destroyers, try to stay away from destroyers, and push when you need to. Don't unnecessarily push and take risks, but push when you need to. This ship is very durable and can take a lot of damage, so I guess pushing the flanks is its strength. It doesn't push the center, it doesn't push the cap, pushes the flanks. Push the flanks, careful destroyers, and uh, don't be afraid to use your radar and other consumables. And that just about wraps it up for this Fortnite's Rank Amateur. Don't forget to check out the Rank Amateur merchandise. And new this week, or Fortnite I should say, is our European merchandising store. So if you are in Europe, just go down to our link and click on the European link. And it will be taken right to our European store. And if I've set it up right, you should be in your language and currency that your country speaks. So... Hopefully I set that up right, but uh, feel free to check it out. And please do send me emails with any questions you have or any confusion that you have in a game that you recently played on World of Warships. I can help you resolve situations like that. Or if you have a ship request for a future episode, I'd be glad to hear. I'm also a contributor on the World of Warships Quora page, so if you have any questions on there, I will be kind of sitting on there every once in a while. So if you have a question, be sure to post it, and I might actually answer it. But a better way to get to me is my email. And until next time, Captains... (laughs) 